my goal always with money was let me understand and become a student of the game. Let me understand how all of these things work and work together because you know, then, then I can be living my best life. Then I can, Mm. you know, I've always thought about how do I build something and leave it behind for my family? How do I build something that's multi-generational? This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Everyone, welcome to the Better Wealth Podcast. It is a pleasure being in Denver, Colorado with Christopher Nelson, man. First of all, what a general name. This is a real, this is a real person. Um, but we met in Austin about two months, yeah. two months ago. It was about two months, yeah, in November. No, uh, beginning of December. Yes. Yeah. And, and one of the things that just really blew me away about you is not only what you're doing, which is super interesting. I'm like so excited to share your story and what you're doing here. Um, so there's a lot of value that you're doing, like in the real estate space and this whole concept of IPO to cash flow in your story. Like it's amazing but also how genuine you are and how much you care. And you're, we've got to spend half the day so far talking about what you guys are going to do and accomplish and your wife's so beautiful and, <laughs> and you guys are just such a power couple. Thank it's you. cool to see you guys in your element Thank you very and much. it's cool to see um, what you guys are all about. So what I would love is for you to introduce yourself to, um, to the listeners and, and just share a little bit of your story and then we can kind of unpack like what you're all about. And this is the Better Wealth Podcast. So people are looking for better ways or seeking. And um, the cool thing is I bring a lot of cool people on the show that have amazing stories and uh, you're going to keep that streak alive. Awesome. Thank you so much. And so I don't know, I haven't shared this with you, Caleb, but I have actually, as I've been growing my business, Wealthward Capital, uh, I've been sort of putting off doing podcasts. So this is actually my first one. Oh, wow. So, yeah. This is going to so, be awesome. So, yeah. So, no, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, opening the offices and the space to us, but we've had a phenomenal time. And so, my name is Christopher Nelson, and I am the principal and co-founder of Wealthward Capital. And my wife and I have actually created this Wealthward brand, which is really around moving towards wealth, um, you know, living well and making an impact. Mm. And that's That's really what we're focused on, and that's really our mission now. But if you would have run into me uh, six months ago, this was really a side hustle, if you will. And I was a technology executive at a cybersecurity startup company. And so that's really the career I left to move forward. And, and, and I just wanted to give that the flyover because you know the audience that I'm really speaking into are technology employees and entrepreneurs. And, um, and you'll get to understand why here in a few minutes. So I'm going to roll it back and I'm going to, I'm going to tell the the long version of the story, because I think that's what we, we agreed on. So, you know, why, why wealth word? Like, why, why are we focused on, you know, building wealth, living well and making an impact? And all of this comes out of personal story. And so I think for me, when all of a sudden I started feeling exposed and, and vulnerable, um, you know, from a financial perspective was, you know, I, I remember it was my second year of college and, you know, my parents told me that, you know, what we talked about being able to pay for, we're not actually going to be able to pay for, you know, unfortunately my dad had gone through a layoff at the time and they weren't able to pay for college that they'd been talking about mm. my whole life that they were going to pay for. And so, um, at that point in time, I realized, okay, wait, I'm all alone. Yeah. Totally. I'm going to have to do it now. And I'd been, you know, on my own for a while, but it was, it was definitely mentally, I realized, okay, I need to really tighten up my financial game. And I actually 
chose to walk away from school at that time because I, I didn't want to continue to incur the debt. And I went to work and I went to work in restaurants. Mm. And the reason that I went to work to restaurants and I really thought I wanted to be a restaurateur is because the fact that number one, my paternal grandfather, I saw him being a restaurateur growing up. When I grew up, he owned a diner and he made fabulous donuts and I'm a big donut head. I don't know if you know <laughs> that about me, but I, I, everywhere I go, I like to, to try the donuts of the area. And then spending some time in Europe, I just really thought, you know, this is where community is built is really uh -huh. on the dining table. And this is where people get the opportunity to break bread. So I, I pursued that. And at that time, I also really started focusing on investing and I was really focused on, um, okay, I, now I understand as I was working for part of the Hyatt corporation and I was able to get a 401k. Okay. Now that I have 401k, what am I going to do with that money? I'd already understood savings account and compound mm -hmm. interest. And I know in the nineties, we were getting some, you know, amazing rates of, yeah. of sometimes, you know, six to 8%. So things were going well from a savings perspective. How do I invest? And the more I dug into investments, I realized that if you're going to turn over the, the power to somebody else. So in a mutual fund, somebody's managing that and you're not sure what's going in, you're going to have to pay them for that. You're going to have to give them some type of a, a fee for that. And so and it was that point in time in the, in the mid to late nineties that I really found the Motley Fool. And I really started to understand, okay, what is it to, you know, analyze a company and understand, okay, is this, is this a good company that has good financial prospects? Does it have the right leadership behind it? And I have to ask this, what motivated you about this? Was it still that heartbroken college age, you know, Chris who couldn't go to college because their family didn't have the money? Like what motivated you as it relates to figure out money and this journey? Um, I think that's a great question. And I think reflecting on it is, I think what I'd always found in my life in, in what I was taught, I think by actually my maternal grandfather is that if you really study things and understand things, you can achieve some level of, of mastery and understanding, and you can have a level of as much level of control over our life as we can. Mm. And so I think my, my goal always with money was let me understand and become a student of the game. Let me understand how all of these things work and work together because, you know, then, then I can be living my best life. Then I can, mm. you know, I've always thought about how do I build something and leave it behind for my family? How do I build something that's multi-generational? How do I actually, you know, make an impact if I'm not allowed to, or not, uh, not that I'm not allowed, but if, if my calling is not to go out and do some service in a foreign land, how do I support, you know, some of the, the charities and NGOs mm -hmm. that do things like that. So that I think was a driving factor. Okay. I wanted to, to achieve some level of mastery and that's actually went, getting into the Motley Fool community. Are Can you, you break down what Motley Fool is? Yeah. So, so Motley Fool at that point in time in the nineties were two brothers that really wanted to take the veil off of stock investing. And what they want to do is they published some newsletters that said, and they created, um, I think, one of the first online communities around this that said, if we can bring people together and help co-educate each other, um, then we can take this veil off of something that Wall Street wants us to think is overcomplicated. And their advice was, you know, invest in companies that you actually, you know, uh, whether that's, you know, Netflix you subscribe to, whether that's Amazon that you purchase mm -hmm. from, try and find things that are part of your daily life that you actually see the company thriving and doing well and actually become a part owner in that company. Totally. Right. And so that was it. And it was soon after that, that then I read, you know, Robert Kiyosaki and I started really understanding that, 
you know, all of the cash flow quadrants and okay, wait, now I'm working for somebody, but if I really want to move to, you know, creating multi-generational wealth, I have to think about owning a business or I have to think about these passive investments that I'm making. And it really opened my mind to real estate. About the same time, I realized that there was a real ceiling for what I was going through, um, in the restaurant business without having a college degree. And I also became smitten with technology. Like mm. I, I'd always been a sci-fi geek and I love the fact that, you know, uh, I could take apart and put together computers myself and I wanted to study more. So I ended up going to back to UC San Diego and pursuing a degree in cognitive science and computer science. And it was leaving that, that I, I actually, so I left college in, in 2001, graduated and got into the technology field. And as I started uh, on that career, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it, but I kept in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, wait, if I'm going to follow Robert Kiyosaki, I actually have to go build a business yeah, and and I have to, to leverage that to go buy real estate. That was really, you know, my long-term goal. And so uh, a few years into my tech career, I, I actually got with one of my restaurant buddies and we decided to open a smoothie franchise in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, Arizona was a lot lower cost of living where I was in the Bay Area and San Francisco. And at that point in time, it was doing really well, especially in the real estate market, mm. right? And, you know, this is like 2005, So, so smoothies, I like, you remember when I freaked out last night when you told yeah. me that? What's your thoughts on Jama Juice as a franchise? Because I've always thought I was going to own a juice franchise. Like, yeah. I just love that. And mainly going back to the whole philosophy of if you're going to be a user, why yeah. not be an owner? What's your thoughts on the whole business model? And then do you know anything about Jamba Juice and their business model? I, I do know about Jamba Juice, you know, in my understanding of things haven't changed, but, you know, used to follow them. They were competitors. Then they actually unified and went corporate and they mm. actually went, I think they went public and then they went private, but all of their stores were corporate owned mm. versus we bought a fro franchise into a company called Robex Juice based out of Southern California where you could be a franchisee. And I just think, so it, interesting question. Nobody's really asked me that. Not that I've <laughs> talked about it in a while, but franchising, you you know, my, I would say caution or in Spanish, as they say, cuidado, because, you know, when you go into a franchise operation, they take their franchise fee first. Yep. So if you're in a situation where you're not making money, you're going to be paying that almost like a tax, and so it's just really important to understand, you know, and, and I think people have obviously done very well. I know with uh, Subway and other franchisees buying it, getting it in the right location and standing up, mm -hmm. people have done very well. And when we first stood up our first Robex location inside of a mall, it was a smaller operation. And we, we made sure that um, everything, all of the expenses we could handle, because I was still working at the time, like we could cover those expenses if we needed to. and that particular location started cash flowing very well and nice. we were incredibly excited. And so then it's interesting how, uh, you know, this mindset of, okay, well, wait, we have one cash flowing, but that's not enough. Like we yeah. need more. Totally. And I think we are also, as we saw some of the other operators, we had a small location inside of a mall. We wanted a big flagship location. And at that point in time, I think it was roughly around 2007, 2008, we actually, we're able to use the cash flow to get the loan for the next store, which I think that's important because I would, you know, moving forward, I would never do that again. But we opened up the second mm -hmm. store and immediately on opening it, you know, we, we had a nice push. Things were going very well. And then 
you know, coming into 2008, Tucson was just decimated by um, the uh, real estate market. And they even had some mortgage companies that were doing, I think, some some loans that, you know, just weren't uh, kosher, for lack of a better word. And some of those companies closed overnight. So our cash flow really started drying up and we had to shut down that store. And then we had to shut down the, the other store. We ended up actually selling it to another mm. operator in town. And, you know, we had gone all in on that. We had mm. gone all in to, you know, follow Kiyosaki's model to really say, okay, we want to um, create this business that is going to buy us passive income. And that it didn't work. Yeah. And, you know, I think I didn't realize till later that you do learn more in what would be considered a failure. And I actually subscribe now to either you either win or you learn. You know, I, I like Napoleon Hill. He says temporary defeat. Temporary defeat, right? That's good because it's it's not permanent. It's not. And, and I do think, I mean, quite honestly, to the entrepreneurs out there, there is a mindset that when you go through that, you need to process that and look at the lessons learned. Because mm-hmm. what I've learned is that if you don't process those lessons learned, they can become open threads that are self-defeating in your head. Mm-hmm. You can say, oh, I didn't, you know, that was a business venture that failed. You can turn that into, I'm a failure real quick. Correct. If you don't look at the mistakes that you made. And it was actually in that, in some of the the lessons learned there that I was able to move forward and and do something that I never thought was possible, right? Which um, was to have an incredible equity generating event. And part of this was I sat down, and I looked at Kiyosaki again, because I said, he's got something here, but there's something missing. And what was missing and what I saw all around me in the Silicon Valley in the Bay Area was the fact that there's a missing element that's not discussed. And I call it Kiyosaki's bridge. And mm-hmm. it is really this, this relationship that you can have with specific companies between, you know, quadrant one of being an employee and quadrant two being a business owner, where you actually get the leverage of other people working for you. And what this is, is in, in startup companies, they give away equity and they allow employees to become part owners and some significant, others maybe not so significant, but they all have value. And if you actually choose to take your time and your talent, and you do have to have the talent, right? They are looking for specific talent, but it can be multiple things, right? It can be, this isn't just guys creating technology. This is also sales guys. This is also marketing. Can you tell a great story? These are digital marketers. These are um uh, you know, people working in facilities, like all different types of people can go to work for these companies, get a level of equity and, and then work and act like an owner, understanding the fundamentals of that business and take it through an equity generating event. In my case, it was an IPO in other people's cases, it could be an exit, right? Which means, you know, some type of an acquisition. So, so after, after 2008, you lost everything. What you you went back to Silicon Valley? No, I mean actually when I, when I lost everything, interesting story. I was actually working for the consulting company I was with, and I was living in Japan at the time. Oh no! And so I was really having it was really um, a low point for me as I was, you know, the 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 folding of a business process is not always overnight. Like it's mm-hmm. slow, and there's a lot of paperwork, and then there's the selling and. And so I really, you know, as I was looking and understanding and saying, okay, wait, 
I went and I started a business that was really outside of my core passion at that point. My core passion at that point was really implementing a lot of sales systems actually to help salespeople. And there's an opportunity to run those in type of inside of startup companies. And so I said, I want to actually focus and say, I want to take what my passion is at this point, go and, and leverage that talent mm. for a startup company. So I actually left Japan and went to work to San Diego. I had an opportunity for a startup there and I was really sold on the, the value proposition and everything there. After about 12 months, I realized, okay, wait, I, I actually need to refactor, you know, my criteria. I did not choose wisely on this. The ownership, you know, was, was less formal VC and it was more family owned. So there was mm -hmm. a little bit of some dynamics there. And I also realized that, you know, we were not going to get the funding to grow and scale. Yeah. It wasn't going to work. And so it was at that point that I met my wife in San Diego. So that was the, the blessing that came out of, <laughs> out of San Diego is I met my wife. And then, um, you know, as she was living in Chicago at the time and I relocated back to the Bay area. And so then when we got married, we settled in the Bay area and, you know, I, I let her know, I said, honey, I am going to be focusing on networking. I'm going to be focusing on this criteria of trying to find a company that, you know, number one is, is really going to be financially viable also has a product that I'm passionate about also has a large total addressable market has a team that has experience that's done mm -hmm. this before and is aligned like that, that alignment between leadership and getting everyone focused on the mission is critical. And so it took us, uh, about a year there. So from 2010 to 2011, it was in 2011 that I became employee 417 of a company called Splunk and had the opportunity to join as a director, a junior executive mm. and get a significant amount of shares. And it was, less than 12 months later, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of focus to get this company ready for an IPO. We went through an IPO event that significantly changed our lives. And for the people listening to this, what is an IPO? An IPO is an initial public offering. So that is where, you know, a company uh, takes its shares and puts it out on a public market. So in this case, it was the NASDAQ and, and essentially floats that open for trading so that, so that people can go in and buy those shares at the value that they see fit. But part of it is the market is going to determine the value, but if things are selling off, right, you know, it'll price yep. will go down. If, if people are valuing it, holding on to it, then the price goes up. So part of your compensation when you're working for this company, and again, it was a company that you believed in, you believed in the product, you believed in, and the, the culture was probably great. Um, so what ended up, ended up happening was you got paid in salary, but you also got paid with, with stock options. That is correct. Which is, is a form of saying, Hey, you're going to be a part owner. I want to connect some dots because, because yeah. Robert Kiyosaki and I 100% agree with this. Robert Kiyosaki saying, you know, almost, he almost like, if you're not running your own business, like you're a lesser human being, which I think is really dangerous because not everyone is should be entrepreneurs right. not everyone should start their own business i do believe and that's why we have our own that's why we have a profit sharing model in our company i do believe in creating incentives yes. and giving people ownership yes and so what you were doing is in this in this tech startup which is very common in the silicon valley you were part owner probably that a very correct. small part owner yeah. Yep. I mean, I think there there may have been a zero before the actual percentage. But right. yes, it was it was very small. But when they do, what was the exit? What did? How much did? How much would did they go public for? Well, I mean, so the price that they went out at, well, they were supposed to go out at sixteen. They ended up going out at thirty two. Amazing. Yeah, and so and so you know, and those were shares that you know when we they were priced at when we went in at, at 
$2.98 a share. So that's massive. It's massive. It is. And and this is where, you know, people are doing this every day. And the thing is, is, is I think it's, it's having that investor's lens and that mentality and looking at it because, you know, we, we know my wife and I know some people who have, you know, they chose to go to work for WeWork because it was a great culture, but at the same time, they weren't looking at the underlying fundamentals that, you know, people were really scratching their heads, myself included, how are they going to make money? Right. But if you, if you actually look at the underlying fundamentals and I actually seeing it now, there's a lot of people that have done this before. There are people that are going and doing it multiple times. There's a lot of people from my old company that are moving to another company that I see, okay, it's getting ready to go. These guys are going to go do the same thing again. So I think that for technology employees choosing where they invest their time and their talent in treating that like the greatest investment they could ever make, they can actually trade that and go through what I call an equity generating event, which Mm. is that IPO or that exit that then gives them, you know, this, this, this great equity event. Now, you know, what we learned in that, and this is, is part of my whole story of IPO to cash flow, where, you know, on that day, the IPO day, which is the most amazing day for, you know, people who are in these technology companies is this is the day where it's truly going to determine, you know, what, what is your, what was on paper and what is that really going to be worth? It's going to be a gauge and there is a lockout period. So you do have, depending on the the contract, ours was six months where you have to then let it float on the open market before you can start taking shares off the table. But when we went out at 32, that really doubled you know, what we thought. And it was, mm. it was, you know, uh, we w- had gone from, you know, I'd say overnight, we had 95% of our wealth in a single stock. Wow. Wow. 95% <laughs> of our wealth. Right. And it was something that, you know, when I went home and I remember I was so elated that day and I was so excited. I'd been at the office and it was really a party all day with a DJ and a buffet bar, a breakfast buffet bar and Voclico. I remember there was a <laughs> iconic photo that they took of, of at the end of the day, all these laid down Voclico bottles all over the ping pong table. Nice. And uh, they actually then made a copy of that. And that was, that was put on the wall because that um, represented that special day. And as I got home to my wife, Regine, and I, I turned around and I showed her the stock account and I showed her you know, all the, the zeros behind it. She just looked at me and said, well, okay, well, when do we get the money and when can we buy the house? Cause we were expecting our first son at that point. And all of a sudden, like the, the joy got sort of sucked out of me. And I was sitting there, my jaw dropped. And I said, I don't know. Like I'd work so hard to get to the point of creating this equity generating event and, and acting like an owner and really putting my best in the company that I was not planned for that moment. And so you know, I went back to the playbook and I said, okay, wait, I want it. I want to take this. And I always have had this mm. vision that said, if I ever acquired a large amount of equity, I want to invest it in something that's going to pay me. I know that people do this. I know that there's ultra wealthy individuals that, you know, they have investments that pay them money. And a lot of that is real estate. There's also other things, right? As you and I are talking, right? There's, there's a lot of other vehicles that can actually pay, pay you money. And so, but I also realized there was tax implications. You know, we were Mm -hmm. also getting other benefits of, we just gone through the IPO. Now they started refreshing us with RSUs because they wanted to make sure that the core company that, or the core team that took them through IPO was going to continue to stay with them. So we're getting even more equity. So 
what are those are those like restrictions like golden handcuffs almost to keep you on that's right that's right and and that's an advantage when you're at a company that's winning they want to try and keep the team together and so this is one of the things that i had not realized is not only was the base equity going to be there but we were going to get these restricted share units which are grants that were going to then start coming on a quarterly basis that you know we could either exercise and take it as cash uh or not uh, we are also going to get employee stock purchase units where we could, uh, you know, employ this. But the, when you think about the more and more, you're actually getting more uh, invested in this single unit. So we we worked and we helped put together a team of you know a tax person. We were actually leveraged a fee only advisor to to get a level of advice to help us get smart quickly. Gave us some great resources. Um, you know, we chose not to invest with him because I, I've always believed that, um, we, my wife and I can manage our money better than anybody else can. Yep. And so we are always independent investors. And, and so we really figured out, okay, how do we get diversified? How do we start putting a plan together and get some of this into cash? But then there was the question of how do we do real estate? And, you know, we, we did go to a platform fundrise and we found that fundrise gave us the opportunity to invest in commercial real estate and was giving us a great return. But I also started realizing that just like, you know, when I did, when I went from mutual funds to individual stocks, if you can actually cut out the middleman and start going and finding the deals, you can actually get better returns. And so, um, we ended up precipitating a move and and wound up in Austin, Texas. And so Austin, Texas is where we currently reside and landed there um, a little over two and a half years ago. And it was there that we really started discovering opportunities for real estate. And mm. this is where I found that my focus and my passion was really um, commercial real estate syndications where you mm-hmm. come together as a group yep. and you pool your resources to go and purchase single buildings. And it gives you incredible benefit of number one, capital preservation, cash flow. It does give you also great tax benefits because of the fact that you can, uh, we do value add deals. So we actually then increase the value of the units. And so you're able to get accelerated depreciation off that, which that's one of the big things I've learned is that as you accrue and carry around passive losses, that can actually impact your overall passive income mm-hmm. and portfolio and reduce the tax burden tremendously. Mm-hmm. And then also then the the forced uh, appreciation, because in commercial buildings, if you are increasing the net operating income, you can actually force the appreciation, which is different than residential. Right. And there's a, there's a lot of things that we can get into. Yeah. Um, here's what I would say is whether you're, whether you're in tech employee or whether you're ready to IPO or whether you're someone who's worked their entire life, yeah. you had, you had this like moment where on paper you were wealthy yes, and you came home and that, that piece of paper didn't translate into happiness or fulfillment. That's correct. And because it wasn't at that point in time, it was not real. Correct. It wasn't real. It was a unrealized gain as they say, you know, in the stock world and, and quite honestly, and this is what I'm finding out in the community that I work with in tech employees is that like myself, a lot of people don't have a plan. And right. they have this equity, or I've also found, and we work with entrepreneurs that may have cash flowing businesses. And, you know, there's some risk there, right? There's the risk of let it ride. Let it ride is a risk. And I have heard stories of people that have, you know, maybe amassed 2 million in equity, let it road. And then as the, the company, you know, it wasn't my company, but a different company experienced some litigation and some issues, 
when that value dropped from 2 million to 200,000, they then got scared and they pulled that out. And that was that, yeah. right? And yeah, that's crazy. So you have a three-step process when you sit down with people, plan, protect, produce. That is correct. Now talk to me about planning. Cause when we were talking, I was like, man, like this is you, this is where you can add the most value is help yeah. come alongside someone that's in the Silicon Valley world is in working for a startup that's that right. is that's to help them understand what they currently have, but then also then teach them how to best protect their money, that's which, right. I'm, which I'm excited about because we're talking about some things on, yeah. on our end. That's and right. then you have some really amazing things as it, as it, as it relates to producing that money. So why, why don't you walk me through the plan and why sure. it's so important. And let's let's make the bridge for whether you're in this industry or you're not. I really believe in your philosophy. Yeah. And I believe it translates to everyone. Well, and so and so plan, there's there's really two phases of plan. And part of that depends on, you know, where you are. In fact, you know, talking with entrepreneurs who, you know, their plan is really they actually want to go acquire equity in companies as an employee with their time and talent. Part of that planning stage can actually be let's look at your talent, let's look at the pool of companies out there that would be, uh, you know, great fits for your talent and also are, you know, look like they're going to do something significant from a financial perspective. Let's go and make that match. That's, that's a planning aspect there. Then I'd say where I spend the most of my time, and this is for tech employees. And I've even spoken with other, you know, non-tech employees, but people who have equity, you know, in a single company and they're overexposed to that company, yep. overexposed to the up and down. And that plan is really number one is divest. And I call it divestiture because it's not a rebalancing of a portfolio. It's a significant event that you need to have tax. You need to also have life planning involved. And you also need to understand, you know, how do you actually manage, you know, getting all of that diversified into cash mm -hmm. And then that's when you actually go into the produce. And that's really then where there's a, or sorry, that goes into protect. And so it's in that planning phase though, that we want to start with the end in mind where right. we really want to focus on, you know, our, our goal of produce is to build a, you know, pay you portfolio, right. As a portfolio where you're actually getting passive income. So we do want to start with, you know, how much passive income do you want when, like right. how can we actually put this together and, we, we do also have to take a look at, you know, are you living in a high cost area? Are you actually going to look at relocating later uh, in life to just reduce your overall expense burdens and, uh, and those types of things? And then we also look at how do you want to make an impact? What I found with technology employees and entrepreneurs and, and what I firmly believe, and I know you believe this too, is that if they can be financially independent, if they actually have a pay you portfolio that is putting money in their pocket and their expenses are covered they're going to want to do something impactful in this world, whether, right. whether it's, you know, going and helping another startup and saying, how can you be the best if, whether it's helping somebody tell their story, like people really want to help out. And I see that, I see that firsthand and what you guys are yeah. able to do. And it's really, really special. Let's talk about a syndicate. Okay. And, and if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, they want to learn more about, you're talking about real estate, you're talking about syndications. Why don't you give like the one oh one? If you're, yes. you just sit down with me and I had nothing, I didn't know much, but I wanted my, I wanted my money to cash flow. Um, because we have a lot of, we have a lot of clients that use their and assets to do things like this. Right. I think it'd be cool to get from your, 
from your mouth what what this is all about. And so I'm going to answer that. Let me just go back. I do want to just drain real quick. So it is, you know, plan, protect, produce. And that is really, we create the plan. We then help you execute it and protect and divest and, and move into cash. And then the produce is really on the you know, how do you actually invest in a portfolio that's going to pay you money? And so Wealthward Capital is really focused on, you know, uh, commercial real estate syndication. And so how a syndication works is number one, the key to a great syndication is the operator. Yep. Right? And so that is the operator. And that is not myself. I am a co-sponsor and I am a part of the syndication, but I actually find operators that have experience that have done this ex- at scale right? That, that they have a track record of success and seeing this through, you know, good times and bad times and in partnering with them and then bringing my team's capital to bear, you know, helping them with the underwriting, helping them with the due diligence, because we do want to make sure that we're, um, and so backing it up, what is a syndication? A syndication is where people pool their money to buy an asset and they're actually buying a building, which that then gives us, you know, some of the the four advantages that we talk about. So number one, capital preservation. If you're invested in an apartment building, mm-hmm. you know, generally speaking, you have to have occupancy that is going to be close to 70%, which is a horribly run building to actually be at the point where you're break even. Yeah. So that's like, right. Yeah. And so, so that means that your initial capital is, is going to be protected. Number two is cash flow, right? We're yeah. looking at buildings that are, you know, already cash flowing at, you know, um, the mid eighties, even into the nineties for some of them, 90%, uh, occupancy. And we also, you know, we may take over a building that's mismanaged in a a great area. And we also look at markets that are, we're looking at major markets where right now in Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, and San Antonio, and all of those markets Mm -hmm. have major jobs moving there. They have on average, you know, 90 people a day. It's actually more in the Dallas Fort Worth. It's closer to 150 people a day are moving to that area Wow! because, you know, Texas is really open for business. Um, but in there you get, um, capital protection, you get the cash flow, you get the tax benefits because as an owner, you're going to get a K one at the end of the year. And that's going to give you your, you know, your, your passive income and your passive losses. And that's tremendous. And then at the very into that, there is then the, the forced appreciation, right? The equity. So we go into value add deals where if you think about it, it's almost like a fix and flip of an apartment building that takes five years, sometimes seven years. And as you go in, if you invest, let's say a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to then get a, depending on the opportunity, seven to 9% cash flow, you know, and that's going to be paid out monthly or quarterly, depending on the operator. And then at the end, the exit is then going to be a 1.75 or more. And again, these are all just, you know, I'd say average type numbers, you know, and these are, these are some of the numbers of the deals that we're, that we're mm-hmm. generating. But that means that then the overall, you know, return on the deal is going to be somewhere, you know, 16% IRR, which may be complicated for some, but that's an important metric. But what it, it's really an equity multiple. It's really, if you put in a hundred grand, the whole deal should total out at the end, $190,000, mm-hmm. which in five years is pretty significant, right. especially when you think about all those other, you know, extended benefits. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Lots, lots of things there. I remember at, at dinner, you were like, I, I need a shirt that says, I love passive, passive losses. Passive <laughs> losses. Yeah. Because I mean, that is one of the things that we've come to understand uh, you know, as, as my wife is, she does more active investing buying single family homes and running Airbnbs is when we bring all of our passive income together and we get all these passive losses off apartment buildings, that's a win. 
It's a mm-hmm. win for that. Is that, is that a form of depreciation then? That is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is. Yeah. And the other thing that you could add, maybe not to this, not to syndicates, but is leverage. And that's oh, maybe, yeah. maybe would you say if you did active real estate investing, the, the fifth element that you could add is using leverage. That's right. Okay. No, and, and we do use the leverage. I mean, so I think in the syndication, we get the leverage of each other because we're yes. coming together as a syndicate. Yeah, you're right. And we also get a loan, but le- leverage is there in all real estate, right? I mean, this is why- I think, you know, real estate in the United States is so powerful. And when you look outside of the United States, if you take a look and you see how they don't use leverage, using leverage is super powerful. So I think the big di- difference is if, you, if you're if you sold on real estate, you have to ask yourself a question. Do you want passive route? That's right. Or you want the active route? And there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Like and, I could play devil's advocate you could, you could, to and, either. And, and nothing, and that's the one thing about real estate. Real estate is so flexible uh, and part of it is also personal preference. What do you prefer? What are you most comfortable with? Because yeah. again, going back to the core tenets that we believe in is, is nobody can make better decisions about your money than yourself. It's you, you are empowered. You can do that. It's really not that hard. You know, you just, you do have to do a level of work, but you know, choosing active versus passive is, you know, that mm. part of that is your own decision. And you're right. There's, there's pros and cons to both. I love it. Anything else from uh, IPO to cash flow, things that you've learned as, as it relates to your, your guys's business and anything else you want to share as it relates to that? I, I mean, I think what, what we've learned is, is number one is, is, I mean, I think there's the message of hope, which there yeah. is a way like right now we are now and so number one is we live everything, everything that we are telling people and, and, and that we're showing people and demonstrating through education are things that we are doing ourselves. Yep. And in fact, we call ourselves and we just actually recorded a video on, you know, the real estate laboratory, right? We're, we're real estate scientists mm. and we are like, we need data and we want to dig in and we want to understand the truth, but we're, we're doing this. And what we realize the message of hope is you can build a portfolio that pays you. Mm. You can build a portfolio that pays you. And that's not the message that's out there today. You know, and, and the messages, you know, uh, there's a lot of messages around traditional retirement that says, okay, build up, you know, this, this lump sum in your, you know, your IRA, 401k, and then slowly drain it. But how much more powerful is having tax protected cash flow that pays you all the time? And the reality is, you know, what I found out is going through my IPO to cash flow journey is I actually called somebody, a friend of mine who opted out of the journey. And they, they, what they did is they said, we, we went to the Silicon Valley together. We graduated from UC San Diego. He was doing startups first. I was doing the consulting and I was really learning a lot and really sort of building up my skill set that I was able to later trade for the uh, equity. And he at some point got tired and he said, look, I just want to make money. And he went to Wharton and he went to graduate school. He became an eye banker and he worked like an animal for a number of years, but then he became uh, part of a core team that manages this is a single family office for a guy worth around 300 million. And so when I went through this process, I called him and I called him, his name's Marco. And I said, Marco, how are you managing this guy's portfolio? Tell me. And he said, oh, well, I'd say at any time, we probably have 40 to 60% of his portfolio is in what are called our alternative investments, which real estate syndications are one of them or real estate that pays him. And it's generating capital that we're investing in other things because if the other things they looked at, at the the growth scenarios, the things that were in the market, the things that were invested in companies at higher risk, and they looked at if they didn't have the baseline of that in his portfolio, then he probably would have brought in another team because the 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 ultra wealthy are creating pay you portfolios, 
and they're leveraging that to to be the core of multi-generational wealth and and you know this as well because they're also leveraging that with the and asset they're leveraging that with other things to to continue to multiply and so i think um that is something that i really learned on the journey is that this is possible we can do this and that's something that is now enabling us to be entrepreneurs i stepped away uh, as a tech executive in in august and now uh, you know, full on into Wealthward Capital, my wife into uh, Wealthward Realty, and then you know I'm writing the book IPO to Cash Flow. I can't I can't wait for that to come out. Uh, let's so let's switch subjects, and I want to ask you what what's your definition of better wealth? Like, what does better wealth mean to you? Better wealth. So you know, from my whole story that, ev- that everyone's heard, and thank you so much for listening. Better wealth means to me that number one, I have vin- visibility, transparency, and I understand where my wealth is. It's also, I have it in, in places where capital is protected and I also have it paying me so that I can focus on making an impact that I'm supposed to in this world. And I'm not, I'm not nervous, anxious, agitated and, and ignoring the reality. Right. I mean, did I paint that? I, I think that's, that's a powerful answer. Biggest regret. I guess I do live with some regrets, I guess, not asking for more equity when I, when I had the opportunity. Um, also, you know, part of this is we, we built the plan as we went. Like I wish that there was an opportunity to do some of the planning, you know, ahead of time. So I think I'm trying to pay mm-hmm. forward and give people something that I wish I had. So I think it's honest for me to say, like, I'm building that off of a, a regret. I feel like it's important to do that though. Yeah, it's yeah. cool that you're building a business because if someone like you was around when you were going through that, you would benefit greatly. Right, right, and that and that's where I, you know I really feel um, obligated to do that because I see uh, a lot of people not doing anything, and that to me is is huge risk. Favorite book other than the Bible? Obviously, I think Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad. This is business like that truly impacted right. me. Um, but I would say that. The other business book that has really affected me, I think recently that, that I really believe in is Your Best Year Ever by Michael Hyatt. Mm. And it really helped me focus and really start thinking about you know, what I need to do as an entrepreneur to, to move forward. I use Michael Hyatt's, uh, I yeah. noticed that you have the same day, daily I do. planner. I so. do have the day planner. And I think that that's something that, you know, Michael Hyatt, you know, I think as I moved in advanced and executive leadership for tech companies, he was a virtual mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, one of my goals to at some point, you know, either be on his podcast or sit down and have him on mine. Yeah. I'm going to try to get him on this show as well, because someone that understands how to take on leadership and your time management and, yeah. and prioritize it's super, super um, it's amazing. Okay. So one of my last questions that I love asking yeah. every single guest is what I call the legacy question. And it goes like That's this, right. if this is your last day on earth yep. with the people that you love the most, your family, yeah. what are, what that, what's that conversation going to look like? If all the things that you've learned, what are you going to share with them knowing that this is going to be like your last conversation? Uh, yeah, it's powerful. And I know, I knew that this was coming up and this is the last question. And I've, I've listened to a lot of your guests that have tremendous answers. And I think the one, the one thing that I want to just share with, with my sons that I would want to leave with my wife, you know, if I boiled it down, it's just like, stay curious. Yeah. Right. Is always be exploring, always be asking why seek the truth because you know, that, that is, that's part of my whole you know, journey here is I wanted to understand the veil of, of money management, but what's behind the truth of how we're going to solve this plastic problem or what's behind the truth of how we're going to solve the food problem. Like 
I want, you know, my kids, my family to keep, keep seeking that and being curious. I love that. That's a great, it's a great answer. And I, I also have not met your kids, but what I've heard is that you're doing a great job instilling it, instilling that principle and passion into them. Thank you very much. So how can people find out more about what you're doing? Obviously you come out with the book. I'm going to encourage everyone to get it. But before that, like how can people connect with you? How can they learn more about what you're doing and and the mission that you're on? Great. So they can go to right now, wealthword.com. So that's wealth in word, W-A-R-D. It's a adverb that means, you know, moving you towards wealth, well-being and making an impact. Um, so if they go to wealthword.com, they can find, uh, find me there. And I'm always happy to take uh, a meeting with somebody who really wants to, you know, start thinking about a plan and putting something together. Man, I really appreciate you taking time to not only be on my show, but spending time with us as, as I get to see firsthand what you guys are doing. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I know the impact is like, I get goosebumps just thinking about the impact that you guys are going to have on people. And I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of that. Well, thanks. And it's mutual. You know, I mean, I think since we've met, like I have been consuming a lot of your material and I'm a huge fan. And I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of power and synergy in what we're doing. And I, I want to continue to talk to more about how we can partner together, but thank you so much. Hospitality has been phenomenal and appreciate being on the podcast. It's my first one. Yeah. First one was uh, a lot of mic drop moments and uh, Um, there's going to be a lot more to come. So take care. Awesome. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.